Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Amen. Hey, go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome, everybody, to Ridgeline. If you are here for the first time, my name is Ryan. I'm lead pastor, and it's an honor to have you all with us. Uh, I actually had planned and scheduled to have a friend in this weekend to preach for us, and then I got a text from him yesterday at 9 a.m. that his wife was sick, so I'm preaching today. And uh, luckily, three years ago, I wrote a book called Eight Hours or Less, Writing Faithful Sermons Faster, and I'm happy to tell you that I tested all those theories yesterday, and they work. So uh, the bad news is we're, we're not going to be in First Peter this morning. I didn't have time to do all that textual work yesterday. So uh, I want to preach a text that I've never preached uh, here at Ridgeline and that I think is very timely for us. Uh, We're going to be in Isaiah 40 in just a few minutes. Uh, But before that, one of the things that we're really committed to as a church family is to take an opportunity one Sunday a month to be able to pray for another church here in the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, It takes a lot of different kinds of churches to reach a lot of different kinds of people. And uh, we have a severe shortage of Bible-believing, Jesus-proclaiming churches in this valley. And so if you uh, preach the Bible and love Jesus, we are on the same team, and we want to pray for those churches. And so this morning, we're going to be praying for Lifestone Church and my friend Ben and his uh, wife, Kristen Helton, uh, who lead there. They planted in 2013. Uh, He's been uh, a very encouraging and sweet friend to me uh, in these last three years since we've lived here. So we are going to pray for Lifestone. I did want to say last week, or last month, we prayed for Courageous Church. Uh, They were homeless and without a building. And by God's grace, two weeks ago, they did land a building, and it's because we prayed for him, all right? I just want to throw that out there. So if you got any prayer requests, send them in, because we're hot right now, all right? Why don't you bow your heads with me, and we'll pray for Pastor Ben and for Lifestone. Father, we thank you for this family, and we thank you for this team of people that had the courage to step out and the strength to stay there. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done since 2013 through Lifestone, and we pray, God, that you would continue that work Lord, that as we are in this uh, challenging season uh, right now to lead through and to be your church in the midst of, God, we just pray for an unusual grace to rest upon them. Lord, I pray that they would be united in a divided season. Lord, I pray that you would give them supernatural strength in a very wearying season, that you would give them immense wisdom to lead in a very confusing time. God, we commit them to you. And ask that you would continue to make disciples in their midst. That you would reveal yourself for the first time to people who don't know you. Lord, that you would continue to challenge and to shape and encourage and grow those who are following you as a part of that community. God, we love them and we know that you love them. And so we commit them to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, every single Monday morning at 7 a.m., I have the exact same weighty and overwhelming experience. An email at 7 a.m. on Mondays pushes to my phone with all of your prayer requests from the day before. 
And while the content of these requests varies from week to week, there's always a common theme that tends to run through all of them. We are all battling to believe in the power and presence of God in different ways. That's underneath all of our prayer requests. Lying beneath so many of our requests are these deep questions about God's goodness and about his greatness. And so we're wrestling in these requests, even though they're worded in a bunch of different ways, we're wrestling with these questions like, man, will God come through? Will God provide for me? Can God save those that I'm praying he would save? Can God heal in the areas that I need to experience healing? Will God forgive me? Will God lead me? And so I remember, I remember years ago, uh, sitting and praying over these requests. I started getting prayer requests from a church that I led uh, about 10, 11 years ago. And so one Monday morning, I was praying through these requests, and I was feeling that overwhelmed feeling, getting to read about everything that was going on in these people's lives. And so that caused me then to pray and to ask God, Lord, what, what can I do to be helpful in the midst of all of these situations that everybody is going through. And as I prayed, I heard this very quiet whisper from the Holy Spirit that said, preach to what people are praying for. And so, for years, the prayer requests that come in have been a major source of helping me discern what it is that God wants to say to us. See, beneath the majority of the requests that we make to God is an underlying question. And that question is, is God truly great enough to handle the full weight of my life? And Psalm 145 verse 3 answers that question for us. It says, the Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is, listen to this word, his greatness is unsearchable. Now this word unsearchable is significant. Because what it means is, it means it's too great to be fully comprehended. It is greater than we could ever possibly imagine. And so it doesn't mean that we are incapable of grasping any aspect of God's goodness, just that we will never fully know the greatness of God because he is greater than our ability to fully comprehend. And so as I've read and prayed over our request, certainly not just this week, but really as I think about the totality of this year, there is certainly an overarching area that we need to experience God's unsearchable greatness in. And that is right in the midst of our weariness. Weariness fills our requests right now. And again, they're worded in a lot of different ways, and they are speaking about a multitude of different situations in all of our lives, but beneath so many of them right now is just this deep weariness inside of us. And I think it's very important to distinguish weariness from mere physical fatigue. When you're physically fatigued, taking time off from work, going on vacation, taking a nap, having an, an, an opportunity to rest, that restores your energy, but we, uh, uh, weariness is much deeper than that. A nap doesn't fix Weariness. So if you want a a working definition of weariness, this is how I would describe it. Weariness is a state of physical, emotional, and spiritual depletion, which is why your nap won't fix it, because it's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. It's a fatigue that extends to every facet of life, and it's marked by thoughts like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, or man, what is the point of this, or I think it would just be so much easier to just give up. 
And the truth is, even if we're not experiencing that right now, though I would say you might be experiencing it this year and you may not even be aware of it, because sometimes we can't see it, and then all of a sudden what happens is you hit some kind of wall and you have like a mental or emotional breakdown out of nowhere. And you're like, well, I thought I was doing great, but apparently not. So we may not be experiencing it right now, but even if you're not, you probably have or you will experience it as you follow Jesus. And the truth is weariness can be the byproduct of a number of issues. It can be a result of improperly stewarding the weaknesses in our lives. It can come from extended seasons of trial or suffering. It can come from attempting to endure difficulty by your own strength or experiencing a tragedy that attacks your trust in God or maybe like living through a year marked by an earthquake and a pandemic and social unrest and the most contentious election in modern history. It could be any of that that would cause weariness. And so here's the big question that we want to tackle today. How do we walk through seasons of weariness as followers of Jesus? Because there's a lot of different ways in the midst of our weariness that we can go about trying to endure it. And in this room, we're probably all going about enduring it in a multitude of different ways. And so the question is, how do we actually walk through weariness in a distinctly Christian manner? And I think we find the answer to that in Isaiah chapter 40, specifically verses 27 to 31. So we're going to be in Isaiah 40, 27 to 31. If you want to turn there, we're going to call this message Waiting on God in Weariness. And while you're turning to Isaiah 40, let me give you a little bit of background on this book in general. Now, it was written by this prophet named Isaiah, and we actually don't know very much about Isaiah personally. Very little is said about the man, as the majority of the attention is focused on his message. We do know that he was aptly named because the name Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation, which could in fact hang as the big idea over this book. Now, the central theme of this huge book in the Old Testament is God. Uh, Isaiah defines everything by its relation to God. And his purpose in writing was to declare God's plan to redeem his rebellious people. For hundreds of years, the people of God had been rebelling against him. And Isaiah writes about this with this warning of what was going to happen as a result of that. And that even though they were going to fail, that God was going to redeem them in the midst of it. And so the book is broken down by Isaiah actually writing to three distinct historical periods. And so in chapters 1 through 39, Isaiah is writing to his own time, which was late in the 8th century. And he writes to warn them about the impending threat that Assyria, the nation of Assyria, posed to them. And so his message sounds a lot like, hey, if you don't return to God, this great foreign power is coming and they are going to conquer us. And so that's the first 40 or 39 chapters. And then when we get to chapters 40 to 55, Isaiah is predicting the Jewish exile in Babylon, which took place during the 6th century. And then in 56 to 66, he writes to these returning exiles that would be coming back to Israel. And so by the time we get to Isaiah 40, he's writing to encourage very weary and very discouraged people who are living in exile. And he writes to encourage them with the greatness of God. Now, this seems timely to me, since we have been in 1 Peter, where Peter describes followers of Jesus as spiritual exiles in this world. And we're prone to discouragement, and we're prone to worriness. And so what Isaiah encourages God's people with then is still encouraging for us now. And so he's going to start in verse 27 with this. Make a note of this. Doubting God diminishes spiritual strength. 
Doubting God diminishes spiritual strength. Look at verse 27. It says, Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert, my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? So in this simple question here, Isaiah captures a major source of weariness, namely when we doubt the person and the presence of God. Now remember the context here. The Jewish people now are living in the midst of what would be a 70-year exile. So they're living in a foreign place uh, under the control of a foreign power where they worship foreign gods. That's been their reality for 70 years. And the longer that this exile went on, the more prone they were to ask this question. Why doesn't God help us? And I can't even tell you how many times over this last year, Tammy and I have had a conversation around some version of that question. Where we look at something that's happening in our lives or something that's happening in this world, and you, and you just find yourself wondering, man, why doesn't God just intervene now? Why doesn't he just solve this problem now? Why doesn't he just fix this now? And then in verse 27 here, we see Isaiah pose two doubt-laden answers to this question that was festering in their hearts. The first is, my way is hidden from the Lord. So this reference to my way is another way to speak of one's life, their situation, your season, or whatever circumstance you're in. And so essentially, it's this doubt that says, man, maybe God doesn't actually see what I'm going through. Now the second answer to why God wasn't helping them was my claim is ignored by my God. Now this word claim is translated as right in other translations. It can also be translated as the word justice. It's a word that occurs 34 times or 43 times in the book of Isaiah and speaks of God's right administration of all things. And so their second answer to maybe why God wasn't helping them was, man, maybe God doesn't care what we're going through. And the problem with these doubts is that if they are left unchecked, they drive us further away from God. I mean, think about this. We avoid those that we believe are indifferent to us, right? You tend to not pal around with people that you believe are just, like, indifferent to you or don't care about you. Like, I can't even stand it when I have a server in a restaurant that seems inattentive to my needs. There was a years ago that Tammy and I were out to dinner with a couple of friends, and we were at uh, the barbecue chain Famous Dave's. Anybody ever been to Famous Dave's? I think we had one here. I think it closed. Uh, And I'm going to tell you why, actually, right now. This was, to date, one of the worst dining experiences of my life mainly because our server could not have been more indifferent to us. He was not only inattentive, uh, but he messed up our entire order, and on top of it all, he just did not, he genuinely did not care. And so they're, they're, just as we are getting up to leave, at the end of this meal, the manager came over to us, like restaurant managers are prone to do, and he was like, uh, hey, how was everything this evening? And I just got to tell you, I, like, I almost felt bad for him because he had no idea how poor of a decision he had made in coming over to check on our table. Because I spared no detail as I told him about how horrible our experience had been. And then I ended this rant with a promise that my friends still make fun of me to this day. But I meant it and I have held to it. So I get done explaining this whole thing and I say, and man, I got to tell you, I am never coming back to Famous Dave's ever again as if that mattered to him at all. 
I was just so, but I got to tell you, I'm a man of my word. It has been like 15 years I have not set foot in another famous Dave's. And the one in Salt Lake went out of business. I don't know what to tell you about that. You can connect your own dots. But I stuck to what I said. We have, I know it's a ridiculous example, but I'm just trying to make this point that we are prone, when people are, in, are indifferent to us, we are prone to pull back. We don't press in. And this is a mistake that we make with God when we doubt his care and his attention. When we pull away from God, we forfeit the very means by which God intends to sustain us through weariness. See, the truth is, the source of weariness is not merely circumstantial. We want to believe that if our circumstances would just change, then our weariness would cease. And so if the pandemic would just end, if the social strife would just cease, if we had a different job, a different spouse, a different living situation, then everything would be right in our world and our weariness would go away. The problem is the source of our weariness is also theological and relational. When we doubt who God is, who he says he is in his word, we end up distorting his character and his capability in our minds. And when we believe those distortions, that God isn't paying attention to us when life is hard, or we believe that he sees but he just simply doesn't care when we are experiencing suffering or injustice, we are prone to pull away from him. And when we pull away from God, we forfeit the very source of true sustaining strength regardless of our circumstances. And this is why doubting God diminishes our spiritual strength. And so Isaiah says, man, why do you keep asking these questions? Why do you keep doubting God? If you want out of your weariness, it starts with this. Knowing God, knowing God pulls us to him in our weariness. Knowing God pulls us to him in our weariness. Look at verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. And so Isaiah addresses these two attacks on God's character by reminding us of who God actually is. And so first he says that he is the everlasting God. That means that he is God of the long view. He, his strategies point to the ages, not to the moment, which is one reason that we struggle so much in relationship with God, because we are a people of the moment. We think, God, fix this pain point now. Remove this obstacle now. Do what I need you to do now. But God is an everlasting God. He is a God of the long view. He's not just bent toward the moment, but to the ages. God has had a plan in place that creation has been moving forward since the day he created it. And he is moving everything, even when we don't see it, even when it doesn't make sense to us, he is moving history and he is moving creation toward that plan. He's also the creator of the whole earth and thus sovereign over them. He never becomes faint. He is infinitely strong, which means he gives strength out of his fullness of it. And there is no limit to his understanding. And so he can lead us through any situation because there is nothing that he doesn't understand. Because God is the eternal creator, his strength is unending and his wisdom is unlimited. So there is nothing that he does not see. And there is nothing that he cannot do. And knowing 
and believing these critical truths about God's power and character, it pulls us to him where doubt has a way of driving us from him. I mean, think about it. We, are, we tend to be pulled toward those who hold out the promise of help to us, right? Like if you, if you have an, an area of need, who do you call when you are in need? You call someone that you believe is going to actually be able to help you, right? Now, I don't know if you guys all follow my friend John Nisbet over here on social media, but if you do, then you know he is one of the handiest people on the planet. My beef with him is that he is making me look very bad as a husband. Um, if you're following him or you know him personally, then you know uh, he just finished remodeling his entire kitchen and he builds furniture for fun and had an afternoon free and decided to completely remodel, customize their closet in their bedroom. I'm just like, my wife is pumped if I change a light bulb without burning the house down. And I just feel like maybe you could step it down a bit, is all I'm saying. It's, it's been a lot lately, and he's becoming like a TikTok star in his free time. He's just got a lot of stuff going on. Now, despite John's constant attempts to make all other husbands look bad, he has uh, proven to be a massive, massive help to us at our ministry center. Pastor Tyler's pretty handy too, but we've had a few projects around the ministry uh, center that were uh, a little bit beyond his own ability in, in like a different universe than mine. And so Pastor Tyler just keeps calling John, and John keeps coming over to our ministry center, and no matter what is given to him, he crushes it. He's amazing, and my, my point is, we are pulled toward people like that. We are pulled toward people that hold out to us the promise of help. And so I love the way that Isaiah combats their doubt and combats our doubt by holding up the true character of God. It's like he's saying, Man, this is who God is. Why would you not run to him and find help? And so when we compare the contrasting effects of doubt and belief, we glean an important lesson. And that lesson is this. We should never mistake God's delay for indifference. We should never mistake God's delay for indifference. This was Israel's mistake. They weren't seeing God work when they wanted or the way they wanted, and so they decided God doesn't care. But delay does not mean that God is indifferent to us. So don't, don't ever think, man, God hasn't answered when I think he should or how I think he should, so either he is unaware of what I'm going through or he simply doesn't care. The math on that is all wrong. That sentiment reveals a severe lack of personal knowledge of the God of the Bible. And so when we find ourselves in these seasons of weariness and we're not seeing God do what we want or we're not seeing him do it the way that we want, we have a choice to make. We have to answer this question, will we allow our experience to define God or will we allow the God of the Bible to define our experience? And those are two completely different ways to live life. Will we allow our experience to define who God is and what he's like, or will we allow the God of the Bible to define our experience in this life? Remember, when we let doubt rule, it diminishes our spiritual strength because it drives us away from him. But when we know God for who he truly is, it pulls us toward him in weariness, which leads us to this last point. Waiting on God supplies renewed strength. 
Waiting on God supplies renewed strength. Look at verse 30. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Now, I think one of the most important observations that we can make in this verse is the inevitability of weakness and weariness in our lives. Weariness is going to happen. Isaiah tells us that even youths and young men, which was his way of picturing the strongest, healthiest, highest capacity people we can imagine, even they are going to wear out, grow faint, and experience weariness. Like even even kids. Kids have an amazing physical capacity, don't they? Like when you watch kids play, they just seem to go and go and go and go. And I see this every time we take our kids to the park. They run and they jump and they climb like monkeys. And typically I sit on a bench like a good dad and I watch this take place. But every once in a while I will get up and like play tag with them on the playground. And I have to tell you, I I rarely have a more sobering experience than as a 40-year-old man playing on a playground. Because it is exhausting. They make it look effortless, they run and they climb. My son Ryder will do the monkey bars like 700 times without stopping. Like when was the last time as an adult you hung on a monkey bar? It's not great. Like you remember it as a kid and it was so funny, you were like skipping rings. You just hang there now like a pig over a pit being roasted. Just like when is this gonna end? That's what it's like. But they will just go and go and go and I'm like two seconds in and huffing trying to keep up. Nothing makes me feel more old than trying to chase my kids on a playground. But here's what Isaiah is saying. Even they are going to get tired. And even they are going to wear out. See, apart from God, creation is hardwired for weariness. Despite what we tend to think or despite the way we tend to function, we are not self-generating. We are not self-empowering and we are not self-sustaining. But God is. And therefore, he can pour out his strength on us and in us. And his strength is offered to us in our seasons of weariness with just a singular condition. It's right there in the text. Look again at verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. That's the singular condition. Trust in the Lord. Your translation might use the word, instead of the word trust, it might use the word wait. Both of those are good translations. But neither of them implies sitting back, watching the clock tick away, wondering or questioning whether or not God can or God will give you strength. This word that we translate as wait or trust comes from a Hebrew word that means a confident expectation. A confident expectation. So think about the day I had the privilege of marrying my wife, Tammy. I walked down the aisle with two pastor friends who were going to preside over our ceremony, and then I took my position at the front of the room, and, uh, and I watched then as all of our closest friends came down the same aisle, and they took their positions. And then we all stood there in the front of the room, looking to the back, waiting for the main event, for Tammy to appear and to come down the aisle and to marry me. And in that moment, as I stood there waiting, I felt a lot of emotions. I was excited. I was nervous. I was so happy. I felt very overwhelmed. But one thing I did not have to feel was worry. I didn't have this uncertainty inside me about like whether or not Tammy was going to show up. 
I wasn't standing at the front, like all stressed out, wringing my hands in my head, wondering like, I hope Tammy's actually behind the door. When it opens, I hope that she's not left to go marry someone like John Nisbet, who's actually helpful. I hope she's there when the door opens. I wasn't thinking any of that. Instead, I was waiting with confident expectation. I trusted that she was going to be there. And this kind of trust, this kind of eager expectation, this kind of active waiting is a theme that is weaved throughout the entirety of Isaiah. Isaiah 18, 17, 25, 9, 33, 2, 49, 23, they all talk about the same thing. They all come at this big idea from some angle. Weariness is an invitation to wait on God. There is grace even in our weariness because it's an invitation to wait on God. But here's the question. If waiting on God is marked by a confident expectation and not just sitting back wondering if God will act, then what exactly does it mean to actively wait on God? I think it means at least two things. First, waiting on God means depending on him completely. That we would depend on him completely. That means no riding the fence of faith. We have to go all in. We don't depend on God partially and then depend on ourselves or on something else partially. We're fully dependent on God. Secondly, waiting on God means trusting him implicitly, which is very hard. Because that means trusting him without qualification. So it's not this sort of like, I'll trust you, Lord, if, or I'll trust you, Lord, when, or I will trust you, Lord, after. Trusting God implicitly means trusting his wisdom, his outcome, his plan, his timing, and his way. Demanding that God work in a specific way is not trusting him. It's treating him like a slave. And so waiting on God means depending on him completely and trusting him implicitly. And so maybe like me, you're here this morning and you're feeling weary. And in that weariness, you may be wondering, like, like how, do I, how do I start waiting on God? Like, these promises are amazing. How do I make this reality in my life? How do I start to depend on him completely? How do I fight to trust him implicitly? And I just want to give you three simple practices to write down real quick. All right? The first is this. Number one, fill your heart and mind with God's word. Fill your heart and mind with God's word. That means reading it, meditating on it, memorizing it, contemplating it. See, the truth is some of us are so biblically malnourished that our souls are starving. Jesus said that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so if we're going to wait on God, we have to fill our hearts and minds with his word. Secondly, fill God's heart and mind with your honest prayers. Fill God's heart and mind with your honest prayers. So certainly, praise him for who he is, thank him for what he's done, and be honest with him about where your fatigue and your doubts lie. Be honest with him about whatever it is that you are actually feeling. Because some of us have been raised in religious climates where we have been told and and taught and instructed to pray pretty prayers. And the truth is, a huge sum of what we go through in life is not pretty. It's messy. But many of us have learned to pray in a way that cuts those messy parts out of our prayers. And so we end up kind of praying fake. And I'm here to tell you, there is no fruit in fake prayers. 
We don't fool God when we're not honest with him about the state of our souls. He knows. And we don't tell him about the state of our souls in order to inform him. We tell him to relate with him and to find help. So fill your heart and mind with God's word. Fill God's heart and mind with your honest prayers. And then lastly, and this one's tough, patiently trust that God is and will continue to work for your good. Patiently trust that God is and will continue to work for your good. Remember, delay does not equal indifference. Delay does not mean that God is neglecting you. Delay does not mean that God is not at work. He is working. One of the amazing benefits of being a follower of Jesus is that the world can be collapsing around us. And the weight of our lives can be heavier than we can bear. And we can still have this deep faith that God is up to something. He's doing something. He is never inactive. He is never indifferent. He is never inattentive. He sees and he is working. So fill your heart and mind with his word. Fill his heart and mind with your honest prayers and patiently trust that God is and will continue to work for your good. And my guess is that some of you might be sitting here thinking, what? Sounds like kind of obvious and simple. Like you sort of expect a, a pastor to tell you you should probably like pray and read the Bible, right? The problem is it's just actually not as complicated as we want to make it sometimes. See, the real problem is that despite how simple it is, we're still prone to neglect this simple invitation from God. And so we sit in this very wearied state and rather than run to the God who's like, I'm right here. I want to help. I want to give you strength. So just trust me. Instead, we're like, no, I've got this. And I'm telling you, you don't got this. The more that you're trying to carry on your own, the less healthy you are. The more you're hurting. And it will come to a breaking point in your life. And some of us are very resilient and we are very strong. I'm telling you, life will break you. And you might still sit here arrogantly in this moment thinking, not me. Okay. It's coming for you. We have to learn to actually sit with God. Or our souls will shrivel and die. Which is so unfortunate when we consider this promise that we have from God when we do in fact take these very simple steps that are necessary to wait on him. Notice that he says those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. You know that Hebrew word renew means to turn in, to replace, or to exchange worn out strength for new strength. That's what God promises you. He says they will soar on wings like eagles, so you'll no longer be bound by your weariness, but set free. He says we will run and not become weary. We will walk and not faint. And so here's the thing. Waiting on God ensures forward progress in our lives. And there might be seasons that you go through when you feel like, man, I'm flying right now. And there's going to be times in your life that feel like a walk. And then there's going to be 2020, and it's going to feel like you are crawling. But by God's grace and with his strength, we will continue to move forward. 
Weariness is an invitation to wait on God. And all of this that we've talked about for the last, whatever it's been, 35 minutes, is completely pointless if we don't learn to wait on him. And so the question is, will we make the simple decision to simply wait on God? I pray that we would. Why don't you bow your heads with me and we'll ask for God's help in this. Father, we thank you that you are the everlasting God, the creator of all things. We thank you that you are the creator, the savior, and the sustainer of our lives. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you know the condition of each of our souls right now. Lord, you know those of us that feel like we are just teetering right on the edge of a breaking point in our lives. You know those of us who are aware that we can't handle very much more alone. Lord, you know those of us whose souls are wearied and are not in healthy condition, but we are completely unaware of it. Lord, you know all of that. And so God, regardless of where we are this morning, I pray that every single one of us listening would hear this simple invitation from you to just come and to trust you. God, would you teach us this simple daily practice of just sitting with you, relating with you. Please do not allow 60 to 90 minutes on a Sunday morning to be the totality of what is supposed to be a daily relationship with you. God, we need you more than we know. And so I pray that you would teach us to trust you, teach us to wait on you. And Lord, I pray for those who are really, really hurting and struggling this morning. God, would you renew their strength? Lord, we know that waiting on you does not promise that we will never feel weariness, but it does promise us that we will have the strength to endure it. And so God, help us to endure. We love you. We need you. Jesus, we ask that you would give us peace, that you would give us calm, that you would still anything inside of us that would keep us from being able to hear your voice and see your face in all things. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.